You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Fishing for hockey enthusiasts during the run-up to the Winter Olympics, continued unrest in Iran with more arrests, more on Meltdown and Spectre, as most experts agree you should apply the mitigations being offered. Intel receives much hostile scrutiny over the chip bugs, but other vendors' processes are affected too. India says Athar is secure, but many aren't so sure. Admiral Rogers will retire as NSA director this spring. And Marcus Hitchens' attorneys want his confession to involvement with Kronos thrown out. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, January 8, 2018. In the run-up to next month's Winter Olympics to be held in Pyeongchang, South Korea, the first significant hacking campaign directed at those interested in the Games has surfaced. Researchers at McAfee discovered the campaign, which uses phishing emails to spread malicious code in the form of an attached Korean-language text document. McAfee doesn't offer any attribution of the attack, but they do think that the operation looks like the work of a nation-state. In response to a question we sent to them, they said, Attribution is difficult, and technical analysis alone does not provide enough data to definitively say what group is behind this attack. What we can determine from looking at past attacks is this campaign has the hallmarks of a nation-state attacker, given their ability to adopt a technique that was released into the security community, weaponizing and using it to carry out an attack. End quote. Other Olympics have experienced associated cyber attacks, notably the 2016 Rio Games. Most were criminal in motivation, although there were fancy bear sightings during the online retaliation against anti-doping groups and other countries' athletes, when exposure of Russian drug cheating induced the Games officials to kick Russian competitors out of the Olympics. That retaliation took the form of doxing. The criminal hacking was more along the lines of what's being seen in Korea now, fishing and waterholing attacks against people interested in the games. More attacks can be expected as the Pyeongchang Olympics approach. Unrest continues in Iran, as do government attempts to control information. Former President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, no westernizing reformer by any account, is said to have been arrested for fomenting dissent. It was Ahmadinejad's election in 2009 that sparked the last significant public unrest in Iran. At that time, the protesters claimed Ahmadinejad stole the election. This time around, dissent is aimed at alleged corruption the protesters see as stunting the economy and stifling civil society. 
Admiral Michael Rogers Friday announced his intention to retire from his post as NSA director this spring. He presided over an extensive reorganization of the agency, not the least of which was the splitting of Cyber Command into a distinct organization. A successor has not yet been named. Remediation of Meltdown and Spectre, which if you care to follow MIT's technology review, you can call collectively Chip Mageddon, continues. Spectre is now clearly known to affect essentially all chips, not just Intel's, but Intel continues to bear the brunt of hostile scrutiny, including class-action lawsuits the plaintiff's bar quickly and predictably initiated at the end of last week. CRN reports that one of those suits argues as follows, quote, Intel has been aware of a material defect in its microchips that leaves its customers susceptible to unauthorized access by hackers. Intel knew of the material defect in its microchips and intentionally chose not to disclose the defect to its customers. Intel's material defect can be patched, but patched computers, smartphones, and devices suffer reduced performance. One widely noted fact that has poor optics for Intel is the CEO's sale of a large quantity of stock just shy of half of his unrestricted holdings, which reduced those holdings to the 250,000 share minimum prescribed in Intel's executive stock ownership guidelines, as described in recent proxy statements. The Wall Street Journal has noted that the sale represents a deviation from the CEO's previous patterns of incremental sales. Intel has said that the sales were executed in a prearranged trading program established in October and that they were unrelated to knowledge of the then-undisclosed meltdown and specter vulnerabilities. Such prearranged programs are indeed proper and consistent with SEC rules, but of course they themselves cannot be established on the basis of material non-public information. Thus, it seems that CEO Brian Kurzanich, to have traded innocently, was either unaware of the chip flaws or unaware that their disclosure would have a material effect on Intel's stock prices. Despite concerns over incompatibilities between a patched Microsoft Windows 10 and a number of antivirus products, and despite widespread fear of slower performance, most experts are advising enterprises and individuals to apply the fixes. Intel discounts the effect of mitigations on speed, and Motherboard reassures gamers that they'll still be fast enough to crush noobs. Windows Security Center now controls the way users manage security on their Windows devices. The problems that have cropped up integrating antivirus software into the patched version of Windows 10 appear to come down to this. Antivirus software producers have to pre-validate any Microsoft patch and set a flag that they are compatible. Otherwise, Windows Security Center will block the update because it cannot verify the currently installed antivirus product's compatibility. People using the latest versions of products from major antivirus vendors are for the most part fine, since those vendors and versions should be compatible and up-to-date with the latest changes in Windows Security Center. Older versions of common security software and some products from off-the-beaten-track, however, may pose problems of the kind the security community is a Twitter and a tweeting about. Here are some other bad optics. India's government, while continuing to maintain that its Athar National Identification Database remains secure, is said to be working on prosecution of the reporter whose investigative work broke the story last week that the database had been pwned and could be bought on the dark web at fire sale bargain basement prices. In other news from the world of crime and punishment, Equifax has said it will comply with New York State's request for information on the breach the credit bureau sustained last year. 
New York wants to know what Equifax intends to do to make New Yorkers whole after around 8.4 million of them had credit information exposed in the breach. And Marcus Hutchins says he didn't do it. At first, Mr. Hutchins was the inadvertent hero who accidentally found and tripped WannaCry's kill switch, and later the guy arrested by the FBI on charges of being behind the Kronos banking trojan. But his lawyers say he didn't do it. Didn't do Kronos, that is. Presumably, he still did the WannaCry stop. In an argument that anyone who has seen TV will recognize, Mr. Hutchins's lawyer says that his confession was coerced. The FBI picked Mr. Hutchins up at McCarran Airport on his way out of Black Hat and DEFCON, and they knew, the defense says, that Mr. Hutchins was both sleep-deprived and intoxicated, as so many flying out of McCarran are wont to be. As computing quotes in their statement, quote, The defense intends to argue that the government coerced Mr. Hutchins, who was sleep-deprived and intoxicated, to talk. And besides, counsel for Mr. Hutchins says, the G-men also failed to properly Mirandize him. The hope is that the judge will say, as the judges on law and order so often do, Sorry, counselor, but the confession is out. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Ben Yellen. He's a senior law and policy analyst at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Ben, welcome back. We saw recently that uh, some representatives, bipartisan uh, representation, has introduced uh, what is uh, a bill about hacking back. And this is not without a little bit of controversy. Sure. This is an idea that's been around quite a while. The bill, which was introduced by Tom Graves, a Republican from Georgia, and Kirsten Sinema, uh, a Democrat from Arizona who's actually running for the Senate, so she's putting her, trying to put her name on a piece of legislation, is called the Active Cyber Defense Certainty Act, which is 
Uh, acronym to ACDC, one of the uh, silliest acronyms I've seen on legislation <laughs> in a long time. But putting that aside, uh, <laughs> the bill provides an exception to the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. Under that act, generally, you are <laughs> it is a crime to access uh, a foreign network uh, for any reason to get material. Uh, what the, this law would provide an exception that you can access uh, another network t- uh, if it is part of what's called an active defense. So basically, the real world equivalent is if somebody were to come into your house, uh, rob you, take some of your materials, uh, some of your papers, some of your valuables, what this legislation would do in the physical realm, if it existed, would be to grant you an exception to burglary and and robbery laws and allow you to go to that person's house who stole your stuff and to take it. Obviously, uh, it seems kind of more radical when we make an analogy in the physical realm. It's basically allowing you to commit a crime as long as you're doing so for what we call defensive purposes because somebody has attacked you first. Uh, I think what critics would say is this sort of opens up a a Pandora's box. We could have incidents uh, where companies plant evidence uh, that information from their own servers has been stolen so that they can have uh, recourse, some sort of excuse to hack into somebody else's network and take information that ostensibly was stolen from them. Uh, And I think that's a, a very bad incentive structure. Really, I think this article noted there aren't many uh, advocates of this approach. I think they mentioned a, a former lawyer with the Bush administration named Mr. Baker, uh, assistant security uh, secretary under President Bush, has been an advocate for this. But uh, it's an idea that kind of cop- keeps popping back up, and it's certainly not without controversy. Yeah, it's odd because, like you say, you know, nobody's really asking for this, and uh, even the provisions. Uh, within the bill are are quite vague in terms of what you can and cannot do. It, it just seems like a asking for trouble. Yeah, uh, I mean they try and make put all sorts of provisions in the act to limit its most extreme application. For instance, have language advising defenders to exercise quote extreme caution, but without specifically defining those words, you just open the floodgates for potential abuse, potential fraud, using this defense against charges from the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act as a pretext to commit cyber crimes. Uh, and I, I just think that would be opening some sort of dangerous precedent. And usually we would see the industry groups line up behind a piece of legislation like this. And that's usually what motivates members of Congress. But as you said, I mean, there just really is no industry support here, which is why, you know, it's so vexing that this idea keeps popping up. I think the author of this article and many of us are sort of stumped as to why it keeps getting reintroduced in Congress. Well, I guess we can agree that if it does pass, you and I will both be thunderstruck. Absolutely. Well, we can say that for a number of things, but we've both been wrong in the past, so maybe we'll be uh, proven wrong again. All right. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dan. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber.
And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.